0: Well, that's not really true. On the other hand, I think I was more curious about drugs than anything else, you know. I mean, I've seen cats, because I always have a cat or two around, and I, if something startles a cat, some, something strange happens, a cat will become curious about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I felt about drugs, mm-hmm. is that, uh, like, I, I regard them as, as dangerous and, and potentially lethal, But I had a cat's curiosity about him.
1: Dickheads, like a pink laser beam of truth, beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We have our illusion projector on, and we're ready to kick worm kisser ass. (laughs) Today, we are covering the Ganymede Takeover, co-written by Philip K. Dick and Ray Nelson, who is most famous for writing the short story, 8 a.m. in the morning, which inspired the movie, They Live. So Most famous?
2: Well, well, well. Hold on, David.
1: <laughs> yeah, I there's feel there's like you're
2: overlooking a very interesting part of Ray Nelson's life, and that is the fact that he also invented the propeller beanie.
1: Okay, that is very interesting. Let's come. You need back
2: to get to- a very, you need to get a very like well-rounded view of who Ray Nelson was. Okay?
1: Right. <laughs> um. I'm David Agronoff, your regular co-host. Uh, author of Punk Rock Ghost Story, Goddamn Killing Machines. If you're watching the video, to my left is.
2: Uh, I'm Anthony Trevino. And down below, in beautiful Jim Jarmish black and white.
1: Um, wait, what are we doing? I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. <laughs> you are Langhorn J. Tweed. And we have only one tiny little bit of PKD news that we're going to blow through really quick which is, for some reason, there's this graphic novel called Bystander 27, which is like a superhero um, new... Bystander. Bystander 27. And it has been, I guess it's been a big hit as a graphic novel, but every single article or review seems to be comparing it to Philip K. Dick and Bleeding Cool had a headline, What if Philip K. Dick Wrote Superheroes? And so I kind of put that out there on Facebook the other day and a couple of our readers, including Tommy Brim, uh, Tommy Brem, uh, read it and they all agreed that it is not very Philip K. Dick.
2: <laughs> that's interesting because I also didn't think it sounded very Philip K. Dick because the Bleeding Cool article doesn't give you any indication of how it's it's Dick like outside of yeah. saying ordinary man, extraordinary world. And I'm like, that's every book.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> that's
2: like that's like saying this book is a tour de force. What the fuck does that what even does that mean? mean?
1: <laughs> so, and I bring this up mostly because there are so many comparisons to Philip K. Dick with it, and I think it's because Bleeding Cool sure. Ble- Bleeding Cool started this ball down the hill, and then everybody else kind of ran with it. And from everything I'm hearing, it's it's not. So, don't feel like you have to go out and get it. Is what is what we're. <laughs> what we're saying one of us here will read it and then yep. we'll be the goddamn judge of that <laughs> judge um, jury and executioner i'm gonna say i'm gonna take not it dibs on on reading that so the Ganymede takeover was published in 19
0: and 67 david let me tell you what was happening in 19 and 67 cool all right so there, there's a couple of like this is a really interesting year but was, So we had the Summer of Love that we talked about, all the things we've talked about in past episodes. Wait, uh, what was the Summer of Love again? Is that where all those hippies All were the talking? hippies got together, yeah. In mm-hmm. you know, San Francisco and all that. All right. uh, but Thurgood Marshall, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this, but Thurgood Marshall was nominated as the first black Supreme Court justice. That is interesting, considering that we didn't even have the Civil Rights Act passed at that time. Right, yeah. And the rolling rolling stone magazine debuted that year oh and pbs was created that year oh those are interesting so, facts of 1960 yeah what a year right a yeah. lot of new and and important things happened that year well
1: and, and a lot of people are crediting 1968 as being the year that is almost as shitty as this year Oh, yeah. Like when people debate which is the shittier year, it's always 1968 versus. So, 1967, having a bunch of cool things happen in it, is interesting. Shall we get into the writing and publication history of The Ganymede Takeover? I don't see why not. All right. Um, the Ganymede Takeover is unlike a lot of the other Philip K. Dick books, it had kind of a false start in 64, and... in
2: that it makes sense all the way through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just fucking with you. Go on, David.
1: Um, it kind of got a false start in 1964, being that it was a collaboration, but the bulk of the writing happened after Counterclock World and right before Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. So um, he
0: was kind of in. So, this- so the first thing I want to know is how they wrote it. Did they, they pass pages back and forth? Did one person write it and then the other person went through and did a draft. Well, we, that's what I want to know. We do have some quotes on that,
1: but what we know is that the idea for the Ganymede takeover happened at these brainstorming sessions that they had with the San Francisco area Bay Area Science Fiction Writers Group that included PKD, Tony Boucher, uh, Mary Zimmer Bradley, and Ray Nelson and that they would sit around and throw around ideas. And as we'll see when we get into the quotes, that they had three projects that they were planning to work on together. And the first of which was the Unteleported Man, but eventually Ace told uh, PKD that we want you to do this on their own, which in hindsight might've been a bad choice because I think Ganymede Takeover is a stronger, (laughs) stronger book than, the unteleported man, and maybe they would have gotten something more coherent.
0: And then and I still haven't gone back to read that one, so I have failed our fans so far. But I, I'll, I'll eventually, I'll eventually read it. I'm sorry
2: Cosmic puppets retrospective. Yeah. Do we still hate it? The answer is yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, in the third project that they intended to work on together, and. Um, it's believed that this project and um, and man were supposed to be warm up, or for them to get used to writing with each other, so they could work on a book called Ring of Fire, which was intended to be a sequel to Man in the High Castle. So um, that would have been interesting.
0: Yeah, and um, <laughs> Anthony's uh,
1: out. Anthony says no. I'm so out.
2: <laughs>
0: But well, I think if Ray Nelson was there, it might be interesting.
2: It, I, you know what? We'll get into it, but yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. All right, so Anthony, do you have the quotes in front of you? Because we have a Ray Nelson quote that we're, um, Ray Nelson's talking about, that we have more Ray Nelson quotes than we have PKD quotes on this book.
2: What Ray said was, In the dream I remembered the brainstorming sessions I had with Phil and the many other members of the San Francisco Bay Area science fiction community. On those lazy Sunday afternoons in East Oakland, three outlines for novels had been developed during these sessions during which everyone threw ideas into the common pool and I had gone home to put the resulting chaos into some sort of order. only the first the Ganymede takeover was actually written and published
1: all right so um, yeah so it's I like it's interesting to hear that everybody was kind of throwing ideas in there
2: well but were they all throwing ideas in there for for to like the same? Like, did Marion Zimmer and Bradley say, "Okay, I have this idea," and then they all workshop that idea together, or did they all just kind of break off and talk about their own ideas with whoever no, I, else was in the room? I,
0: if it's anything like our writing group was, it's just you—you you talk about a story idea, and people just throw out ideas, and you incorporate it into your.
2: Okay. Well, I wasn't there, Larry, so I wouldn't know that, would I?
1: <laughs> it's too bad. <laughs> well, and I think that the two—the unteleported man and Ganymede takeover were the ones that kind of got thrown around there and then this sequel that we never got but um it's interesting because it, it also makes you wonder because through our tony Boucher research and for the tony Boucher episode which everyone should go back and listen to if they haven't listened to that one um it's tony Boucher was definitely kind of like the head of the show or kind of like the person that was kind of guiding things which was smart because he was an editor and he did publish one of the biggest magazines in science fiction and fantasy yeah and a big editor but also the one the older statesman elder statesman of the the community and and i have a feeling that you know they're probably going to be listening if anthony if tony boucher is sitting there saying like no i think you should go with that idea or or what you need are um telepathic worms from ganymede or whatever (laughs) Like he said, um, and look the 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 elephant in the room is that uh, here is that this is pretty much the same story
0: as game players of Titan. I disagree when you told me that i I, I was looking for it, I just don't see it
2: uh, well yeah, i don't I don't see it. They're not playing marbles to
1: win back the human race, <laughs> yeah, but I mean I, well I guess what I'm talking about is you it's very similar to game players of Titan that you just have outer solar system.
0: Worm creatures. It's in a very generic way. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Well, yeah. Well,
2: I guess the way to put it would be that not since the game Players of Titan has have we experienced or sorry have we read a dick book that deals with an alien invasion. That's really what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, and much. So, yeah, and so this this alien invasion story. But
2: the cars still talk.
1: That's <laughs> true. That's true, um, and uh, I. I think one of the things that um, is kind of mentioned in uh, Divine Invasions is that there's also this feeling that this particular storyline, the enemy Takeover, might have also had its roots in sequelizing Man in the High Castle because the aspect of the Southern Plantation and the Tennessee aspects were one that. Uh, Ray Nelson and Philip K. Dick threw around in, in relation to setting it in the greater Reich of, oh, okay. yeah and so there was talk at one point that that aspect of it and we do know that Phil liked to
0: reuse story elements from here and there and, so, and, so in, in your guys research either one of you come across anything uh, putting Ray Nelson in Tennessee or having anything to do with the state of Tennessee because we know that that Philip K. Dick always does Colorado, and San Francisco area. That's like his, where he sticks to everything. And you know, when they go to when he goes to the South, it's usually like Atlanta or New Orleans that we've seen in the past. So it's I think it's interesting that it's Tennessee.
1: I think he just needed the plantation setting and and the South. So I think they kind of had to do they had to pick one of the states in the South and. I'm not sure. I didn't see any indication to why Tennessee didn't find any reason.
2: No, I think Nelson grew up mostly in New York and then moved around um, to like uh, Chicago, Michigan. Um, It says uh, on the very reliable Wikipedia page that he also worked with Michael Moorcock in Paris. But I can't really find anything linking him to, you know, to
0: Moorcock. No,
2: linking him to Tennessee or really any of the southern states, which is fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it could be arbitrary.
1: Yeah, and Nelson and Dick's relationship was one that um, PKD really felt, and there's lots of quotes on this going back to our our Lies Inc. episode where we talked about this, is that... PKD saw Ray Nelson as somebody who got him, who understood his ideas, somebody that he could meld his vision with very seamlessly. Mm. And, um, and, and certainly Kim Stanley Robinson in his book on Philip K. Dick said that it, it, it's kind of meaningless to try and figure out who wrote what and to look at the separation because it's very hard to see that. And it, and it appears that Ray Nelson was attempting to write in a PKD pastiche well, but that, I don't, I don't think it is
2: written in a PKD pastiche, and I know Larry and I briefly touched on this, but I think it is much more of a cohesive narrative than a lot of the other dick books. There isn't four yeah. storylines crammed into one. There's four <laughs> different things happening, and it all kind of makes sense and, and coalesces I by the end.
0: I, I, I think David's right, and I think you, you're right as well. But the uh, it does have the, the basic Dick structure, but the the it's just better. I think mm-hmm. it's just better put together. The characters are more clear. They're m- more characters. Like if 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 Dick has any characters, they have like two or three characteristics. Stop me if I'm mistaken, but no one's
2: going through a divorce in this one.
0: Yeah, exactly. So like, so maybe maybe, was, maybe Nelson we'll was like ah! characteristics. But then in this book, everybody has four or five characteristics. You know, there's there's just more depth and, and more cohesion everywhere you look. But ultimately, it comes back to mostly being Dick Dick style.
1: Well, and what's interesting too is because we have seen a few of the books that have that are very cohesive, like within the oeuvre. We just we've seen a lot that didn't. You know, mm-hmm. so we still have a. Uh, Personally, I thought Marshall Timeslip, for example, was cohesive. I thought Three Stigmata was cohesive, Um, you know. But I think I'm wondering if Ray Nelson had the ability to rein in Phil in a way that editors didn't feel comfortable with because it's a completed work that they're having sent to them, right? (laughs) Right. Where Ray Nelson's like, hey, we can do this while we're still working on it and 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 that he might be able to rein him in 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 a way but um the the lack of divorce (laughs) in the story um could be explained a little bit by the next quote that we have from ray nelson um where he talks about how they were kind of practicing for the big one but he also gets into some of the characters and relationship anthony Since we were only practicing
2: for the big one, we wrote the book we did in a spirit of almost hysterical hilarity, enclosing weird newspaper clippings and Beetle bubblegum cards in the installments of the ongoing story we mailed back and forth. So, Larry, Uh, that answers your question. Oh, Oh, that sounds like a nightmare, by the way, having to wait for somebody to mail me a piece of a manuscript. (laughs) Um, When we met, first at his place in East Oakland and later at his other place in Marin County near the water. We often spent more time smoking grass, dropping acid and flirting with each other's wives than working. So did, did Ray Nelson come in here and be like, where's the bowl to put your keys in Dick? (laughs) Not for nothing is takeover dedicated to both Kirsten and Nancy. Joan Hiyashi is a composite, in many ways, of these two remarkable women, and many of the concepts and plot twists were contributed by them in the nonstop brainstorming that always formed a part of our relationship. We never actually swapped wives or swung, yet the emotional involvement of this foursome went far beyond what normally passes for friendship between two married couples. So they were like spiritual swingers, you guys. There was probably some heavy petting. Yeah, they they probably got drunk and then like, how'd I up on this side of the couch? Yeah,
1: right.
0: <laughs> um, really close talking between the r- two.
1: R- <laughs> so I think we got from this quote a lot of good details about how their their partnership worked. They were mailing pages back and forth. Yeah. We didn't have di- any. Ha- we didn't have to consult Divorcepedia because the 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 framing of their friendship was this like weird foursome that they had happily married foursome. Yeah, um, that they all got along as as couples and I did see um, in Divine Invasions there was quotes about how, uh, about how they both loved each other's like wives at the time and that was like that definitely formed part of their partnership um, that they all hung out together. I like, you know, and he kind of outs uh, Phil there by, by talking about dropping acid because, you know, Phil famously tries to always say that he only I only did it twice. Only did it twice. Well, uh, I think Phil Phil and you know, look, I am
2: not a dick scholar but by any means, but I, I think from what I've gathered in the last couple of years is that his relationship with drug use and how it conflicts with his own moral philosophy was always a, a battle for him. Like he yeah. he's always trying to
0: swing one way or the other and it's a constant yeah, I, thing with him. Maybe he wasn't sure what he wanted his image to be.
2: But right. he knew he,
0: he didn't want it to be drug addict. He knew that what is what he wanted it to be. So
2: because because now you can you can say yeah I've done drugs and whatever and dropped ass. and people are like yeah that's just part of the like a writer's process or whatever. But yeah, then I, I think that, it would probably be more stigmatized. Yeah.
1: Well, and it wouldn't be a Philip K. Dick novel without a rejected stupid name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so oh, really. Yeah, we have another rejected title, Rejected by Ace. Um, But there's also controversy over just how shitty the title was, because, and we'll get to that in a second, but in a... If it's
2: in the notes, I didn't read it yet.
1: Okay. ready. (laughs) In a letter to his agent, Scott Meredith, in 1968, PKD wrote, I am very anxious to get back from Ace the outline for... The stones rejected, retitled what? by a what? <laughs> the takeover. The, the stones,
0: stones rejected. Now you tell me. I don't know that. That might be. be a good title, but uh, not for this book. For what? Yeah, a reboot the of
2: like the Philosopher's Stone or some shit. I don't know. The stones rejected. Was... Take your fucking magic. Not this book.
1: <laughs> I have yeah. no idea what the stones rejected
2: means, but that. That has more in line with uh game players of Titan
1: I guess stones, yeah. marbles. Marbles. You figure it out. <laughs> okay. So um an editor Terry Carr, who was um as we all remember from our um interview with uh, Betsy Wolheim was was uh, Don Wolheim's right hand dude. Uh Terry Carr wrote um Ray's mentioning that the Ganymede takeover was originally titled Earth's Diurnal Course is a bit right. Co- we went over that yeah, a bit confusing to me, Really? uh Ray is right in doing so the the though the title would have been in Earth's wait, Diurnal Course. Book?
2: wait yeah. hold on that that was a different title for a different book. that was dr uh,
1: Blood Money well, that's just it there there's a confusion because at some point. Ray Nelson said that the original title was in Earth's Diurnal Course, and Terry Carr in this court is saying, no, 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 and no. he that- shot
2: himself after reading it, yeah, because <laughs> it's a terrible title.
1: Yeah, and so Terry Carr just goes on to say, no, that was, you know, he says, till Scott Meredith changed it, it surprises me that Phil had earlier put that title on some other novel published by Ace, and it was done. Okay. and who changed it. I think it was Dr. Blood Money or how we got along after the bomb. Yeah. So, so like Ray Nelson at some point was telling people that, um, that the Ganymede Takeover was also called Nurse Diurnal Course. Huh. God, that title sucks.
2: That title sucks. Yes. awful.
1: Um, so do we all agree, because we have to do this every time there is an original title, that the Ganymede Takeover is a far superior
0: title for this. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's a good title.
0: It's actually a good title, yeah.
2: For for once, for once, I thought, no, it's not a bad title, yeah.
0: And um,
1: okay, so um, and then after the cherry car quote, there's there's another Ray Ray Nelson quote, and this is the last one talking about the three projects that they were working on. Uh, Anthony, did you want to read that one? Only the first. Only the first. The Ganymede Takeover was actually written and
2: published. It has since been repeatedly published in the USA, England, France, and Germany. The second, The Whale Mouth Colony, ugh, was later recycled by Phil in part. The third, In Best, The Ring of Fire, remains to this day little more than an outline and a lot of scribbles on odd bits of paper. And perhaps, by having erased it, a tape recording of a brainstorming session. Do you, is The Whale Mouth Colony. Um, unteleported Man. Unteleported me? Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, and
1: yeah, in the majority of the details about um, Phil and Ray's relationship are between the pages of 136 and 142 of Divine Invasions. That's where they really kind of talk about their friendship and relationship. And um, and according to Divine Invasions, it says Phil never much liked LSD. He only took it a few times despite wild rumors. But in 1964, he dropped acid on at least two occasions with um, Ray Nelson. N- Nelson recalled that during his trip, uh, Phil was sweating, feeling isolated. And this uh, LSD experience, according to a July 1974 letter, inspired The Maze of Death, which we will huh. see next season. So The Maze of Death came out of uh, Trippin' Balls with, uh, nice. with Ray Nelson. So, um, that's that's all I have on the writing and publication history. What I will say about it is is that it is the only, and this, of course, became a problem for both all of us in the process of getting this book for the episode, it's the only PKD book that is not currently in print in the United States.
0: So, huh. um, we Which to is why... Not, it was not an easy book to get, and it, it was more expensive for me than... Yeah, and so, played. I have but... the British edition
1: which um and I had to order it twice it's a long story but it got sent to my oh well,
2: Larry Larry got that good edition though yeah the that up yeah um I can't share my edition because now is the time for me <laughs> yeah. to tell everybody how I I uh, I was able to listen to this because David found a was it David or you Larry which one are you oh, sent David me? This was David right David found the PDF uh, Dave no David found a YouTube video oh, um, no, yeah. a, which is oh, an yeah. audiobook that Jennifer Murtha and Stephen Davis did um, of the Ganymede Takeover. Wow. And um, I, so oh, I say, this would be them. the only way- Yeah, yeah, huge shout out to them for saving me because I've gotten so used to downloading every dick book we do now on my Kindle because I can highlight, I can make notes, I can access yep. all those notes. It's very easy. Um, and I went to download it a week before we recorded to read the book a week ahead of time and I couldn't find it. And I was like, "Well, <laughs> fuck me, I guess." So, so uh, yeah, I listened to the Ganymede Takeover, and I don't know. It was certainly difficult. I don't. I don't like audiobooks. I don't know how you guys are about no, audiobooks. I, hate, I,
0: I don't like it either. Um, I
2: went through
1: a phase where I liked them, but um, I
2: as, typically I don't care for audiobooks because it's actually harder for me to to remember things. I think. And so the character names and all this, aside from Percy X and uh, a few other characters, I can't remember a whole lot of <laughs> names associated with actions. So you have to forgive right. me. I will say that one of the character, the the voice actor for the Doctor, sounded just like Mister Garrison on South Park. Which oh, yeah. listening to this <laughs> really fun for me. But yeah.
1: Yeah, so um that's it for the writing and story publication history, so you know what that means. You know what time it is, Anthony. Time to get ill. Oh. The... It's time to
0: get ill story. <Whammy bar. laughs> Slapping the bass. All right, I get to mute my mic now. I'm going to mute my mic and. You you muted before you said anything. (laughs) Oh man, I'm so lonely. That's all right. I'm always lonely. You're on your own, dude. (laughs) All right. Here is my book report on the Ganymede takeover by Philip K. Dick and that guy who invented the propeller hat. So. Where do we start? We start with chapter one. Which side is chapter one? Chapter one: the Ganymedian Jabba worms. <laughs> uh, so this book starts with the Jabba worms of Ganymede taking over the Earth and in a war. And it was a, it was considered World War Three. The year is like 2047 at this point, and they're. They basically, instead of enslaving everyone, they just kept everything going pretty much as normal and just they own the earth. And they said, cool, we'll keep control of you until eventually we do enslave you, use you in some way. But the Ganymedians aren't adept at this. This is not their central thing. This is like a new idea. We'll become conquerors of worlds. So they like it more in idea than they do in practice. And our guy here, Mechis, is was against the war and <laughs> was against the war and now because he was against the war, he gets to be in charge of the worst territory on the planet. And everyone knows the worst territory on the planet is Tennessee. Hey yeah I'm not a Tennessee fan. I gotta say it. <laughs> Fuck the Titans all right so he he likes this so so much that he faints from hatred. That's how much he likes his new job. All right, so we meet him. we meet his his creatures who are basically bred slave labor that hold all the jobs because our job worms cannot move. They can move a little bit, but they don't have arms or legs. They can't manipulate things other than with their tongue, and so they're kind of gross, blah, blah, blah. They're psychic creatures, blah, blah, blah. On to Joan Hayashi, who is basically a VH1 host of a stupid show. Hayashi. <laughs> Hayashi? We're going with Hayashi? Okay. Is there?
2: I, sorry, is there a CH or an S? I thought it was SH.
0: Oh, yeah, it is SH. Sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. Hayashi, and she's a VH1 host, and she's, uh, like, pretty shitty at her job. Even though she loves it, she does shitty music, and she is told so by our hero, Percy X, but that's later. So we meet her. She's going to Tennessee to meet up with Percy X and get some good music from the natives of Tennessee, the the backwoods sort of real sound of, of the, the colored folk in 2047. That's her, that's her cover story, but it turns out she's a shitty spy. And then we meet the pimp. We meet Paul rivers, a pimp psychiatrist who we meet laying out on a beach with a naked woman there, just ready to service him from the sex club, sex club, uh, Sex Clubs of America or something. I don't know what they're called, but that's close enough. Uh, and then he's like, oh man, the, the, the office called, said I gotta go do this job where I gotta protect this dude. Alright, I'm, I'm off. And then he leaves sort of like 007 style. I'll see you later, baby. So he leaves. Then we go back to where Jones staying. We meet Gus. Gus is a is what I, what I have written down here, Gus? <clears throat> where are you, Gus? Gus Swin Swing, swinger Sw- How do you say that name? Anybody? Anybody got a clue? No, no clue. You're asking me. Oh, I'm You're trying, trying to ask Anthony, but he's not paying attention. Fucking, fucking. I was millennial. letting you do your
2: thing. I was letting you do your thing. Yeah, what I
0: Names, you. names. Gus Sween Swee guard? Guns Wins. Gus Swensgaard. Swensgaard? I... Right. Gus Swensgaard, who is a clever hick burger extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I described him. Then we meet and Gus is like, gee, I don't know. I don't think you want to go see those guys up there. They're pretty whacked out. He and it, he sounds like he, he's not gonna be a smart guy at all. Turns out. He's much smarter than you would, you would believe, but not as smart as he thinks he is. And so Joan is getting ready to go. Gus pats her on the head. Paul Rivers says, hey, can I go with you? Goes to get a gun. She takes off, and then she gets a call from her boss, who is the uh, Marshal Coley, who we find out, for some reason, they don't know that our hero Percy X is a psychic. And so they, they get this new information. Marshall Coley's like, oh, shit. Well, there, there goes my chances for that skin because Marshall Coley's big thing is skin. <coughs> Marshall Coley is a Ganymedian worm, Jabba, by the way. But he's into skin collecting. He is all about getting skin. He wants human skins for his wall so he can have skins of humans hanging from his wall with the teeth and everything. So he's normal. He's a normal guy. Uh, we so we we go to the mountains where Lincoln and Percy X are talking. Lincoln is is his, his uh, number one. You are my number one. So they're they're talking about Hey,
2: I'm wearing a shirt for that movie right now. <laughs>
0: They have a conversation. That was a good
2: Jack Palance, Larry. (laughs)
0: Thanks. (laughs) I've been working on that one for a moment. That (laughs) moment. Uh, So they're talking about shit. They're like, hey, what do we do next? You know, we've got stuff to do. We got to. Oh, yeah, you do. Nothing's working out right. But we got to figure out how we're going to take over everything. Apparently, I'm the last chance for human beings according to the Psychiatrist Association of the World. And so then blah, blah, blah. Joan then gets phone call, like I was saying, gets phone call from her boss. And he's like, dude, um, you can't go there. What are you doing? That's a dumb idea. And she's like, well, why can't I go there? I got this thing where I'm going to kill him, right? It's going to be cool. And he's like, no, no, he's a psychic. He's going to figure it out. She's like, "Ah, oh, shit. So I guess I'm just gonna stand in the middle of nowhere for a while. And then she meets up with a couple of the uh the dudes from from Percy's group. What are they called? The the Neg- Well they call it the Neeg parts. Like Neg- the yeah. Parts.
1: They N-E-E-G. The parts.
0: Yeah. Which is the parts. A little <laughs> we'll get there. And then, we all get it. Yeah, yeah, the uh so these two guys are like, we're gonna kill that bitch and then she gets saved by Percy X because Percy X knows her. They went to college together. And so Percy's like, no, she's cool. She'll come with me. And then we get this whole scene where Percy is explaining, like, there's a spirituality, you know, the need parts isn't just a, a group of people. It's also a religion, just like the Jewish people are a people and a religion. And there's a, a spiritual element to what we're doing and it's more than just saving humanity. It's it's bringing a, a new a, a new viewpoint into the world and trying to get rid of racism by by killing the Wicks. That's sort of the plan, anyway. So yeah, immediately that's dropped from the book. So then um, let's see. Then Gus. Oh, the Meccas is coming into town. Gus is like, I can catch that boy for you. And this is after Gus has this plan to dig out this old shelter that has a bunch of chicks in it that he's going to have and make money off of. Turns out the chicks aren't chicks. They're guns. Very special guns. And turns out Gus doesn't get it because the the Neigs actually kill, kill his foreman and um, render him unable to move, and they steal all the guns. Then cut to Gus waking up with, uh, with Marshall, what's his face? Marshall's skin collector, uh, and he's like, well, you really fucked up. I'm going to collect your skin. And then Gus says, no, wait, I got a plan. I can catch the, the guys, get the guns back, and then I'll, I'll fix this whole problem. You'll get your skin. I'll keep my skin. Everything will work out. Because I planted a I when I patted when I when I patted the girl on the head, I, I actually put a, a little tracker on there. So I know where she is and she's with the dude. Let's do this thing. That happens. So what happens is she's ly- they're all lying in a, in a pile. The the neigs are lying in a pile and they're they're doing this song and it's really cool and it's really spiritual. And uh, it's something that Joan has never heard before, so she wants to record it. Then uh, after, you know, after her and Percy had banged, uh, they're sleeping in the pile. And then he's stroking her hair. He feels the the tracker. He's like, oh, shit, we're fucked. And then they are fucked because then these really cool, like, uh, tracker bombs, tracker missiles start coming at them. And then Lincoln gets blown up. So, you know, R.I.P. Lincoln. And then uh, Percy X gets blown up. Joan tries to save him, but they end up getting kidnapped by the boss. The plan works. It's great. But Mechus is coming quick to town because he has a plan to do other things. And then so Marshall Skin Collector is like, oh, man, I need to get that guy before Mechus gets here. But it's too late. Mechus shows up. Meus is like, I want to be in charge right now. You can go just sign the papers or whatever and, and so so so, uh, so uh, what's his face there, Coley? Coley's like, hey, uh, you like models? You ever seen uh, pl- airplanes from World War One? It's just a delay tactic that's pretty funny where he's like, yeah, well, there's all these models. Yeah, sign the papers. No, no, wait a second. Hey, how, how do you feel about automobiles? <laughs> and then he's like, Oh, I also have post World War One models. I've got tons of models that you gotta check out. He's like, sign the fucking papers. And then he secretly he's like, No, I can't have I can't sign the papers. I need that skin. Give me that skin. All right, so then he signs the papers. Mecca says, All right. Yeah, we're not taking his skin. We're not killing anybody. I have a plan where I'm going to put Percy X in charge, and that'll bring all these people together, and somehow Tennessee will be great. I I, I, I really don't care what his plan is, because nothing he does works until the end. And so Mekis finds that uh, Percy might be a little too uppity for him as... Percy tries to strangle him immediately. And mexis is like, all right, we got to send him to <laughs> the doctor. This is the best character, by the way, is uh, Dr. Rudolph Balkani. He is a crazy ass mad scientist who invented all these crazy weapons when the war was happening. And then he's also a psychiatrist who knows all these weird like secret psychiatry things that no one is no one is, he's the top of his field, but also the crazy top of this field. And so he gets Joan and he gets Percy. And Joan, he immediately puts into a, a sensory deprivation tank. Joan loses her mind, becomes a bodhisattva. And uh, so she's enlightened. It's great for her, which is great. And then here co- long comes psychiatrist Paul Rivers and his buddy. And they're like, all right, we got to have a plan to get them out of there so we can take them back to Tennessee, do this other stuff, because now we need him to fire off this giant gun that is called the Hell Gun, because then he'll die a hero. Humanity will come together and get rid of the Ganymedean Jabba the Huts. And so then he goes, okay, that's a good plan. They They buy these robots that were actually made by Balkani, and Balkani is fooled by the robots, so fooled by the robots that he falls in love with the robot Joan. He's like, oh, she's never changing. Nothing is changing. It's so weird. It's totally ruining my theory of what I could do with people's minds. And so uh, that that goes on for a while. And meanwhile, Gus is trying to round up the rest of... uh, you know, now that the Percy's gone, Gus is trying to round up the rest of the the crew. And turns out Lincoln didn't die, which is, like, not talked about at all. Like, oh, it sad that he blew up. And then, oh, guess what? He's still alive. And they don't talk about how the guns got to, to the, the need party. They just kind of, like, all of a sudden they're using them. So that was kind of dumb. And then, so the war goes back and forth for a while. There's other plans, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mekis gets really into Balkani's work. He's like, oh, I don't care what's going on outside. I need to understand this Balkani thing. I've become a new kind of creature. I'm no longer collect- uh, part of the collective of the Ganymede Jabba the Huts. I am my own thing. And I am the smartest being in the universe. And then meanwhile, Balconi is like, God, I love this robot. I don't know she's a robot, but I love her. And I love her so much, I have to kill her. And he batches in her brain. And then once he finds out she's a robot, he figures out the end to his book, writes the end of his book, and then commits suicide by injection. End of his story. We go back to town. Gus is doing his thing. He sees a plan where he can become not only the master of Tennessee, but the king of the world. I'm king of the world. Uh, and then we're going back and forth. The, the psychiatry society wants Paul to maybe just kill Percy X or maybe have him fire off the gun. It, goes, it vacillates for a while. We don't know. And then eventually Paul has to kill Percy X because he doesn't want him to fire off the hell gun, but he fails at killing Perseus in a great scene where we find out that time is relative, and because the gun has already been fired in the future, they're feeling the effects of the gun in the past. And there's also a great weapon that is the basically turning off the sun. The Ganymedians decide they're going to leave. They're like, fuck this being Conqueror shit. We're going home. We're going to not do this again. This is stupid. This was a bad idea. What we'll do is we'll just turn off the sun. It'll freeze the planet. Everything will die. We'll thaw it out, and and then we'll own a planet that's alive but doesn't have any stupid creatures on it. And It seems like a good plan. Uh, But Percy presses the button. Everybody disappears, goes into pure blackness, loses their all their senses basically it's a a universal sensory deprivation and Mex's plan to connect with the the rest of the Ganymedians works. Every every one of them dies because they don't know how to function without the collective and without their senses because they're so psychic or whatever. And then everyone has their like real like solipsistic trip and because Joan has ascended to to Enlightened State, she's actually cool with what's happening, and so she saves the day, blah, blah, blah. Percy gets killed because the, the button really fucked him up, or Paul fucked him up, and the button fucked him up. Then our boy uh, Gus decides he's going to be president of the world because everyone's ecstatic that they're, no longer non-entities. He says, I'm going to go on TV and say I'm king of the world. And so he goes on TV, but he has a dark shadow that remains that's illusory. And then the dark shadow is like, ah, you suck. And Gus is like, I don't suck, but I do kind of suck. And so it doesn't work out. He doesn't become king of the world right right away. And then uh, the shrinks are like, don't worry, Gus, we'll run your campaign to be king of the world. The end. So, yeah, that's the story
1: breakdown. Let's get into the themes a little bit and close this out.
0: Um, the biggest thing I didn't talk about was the coolest thing in the in the book, though, was those guns, uh, those, uh, the illusion, illusion guns. I, the illusion projector? Because that's my favorite. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that.
1: So one of the things that's interesting in the criticism of this book is that um, – it's funny because Kim Stanley Robinson, like in, when he talks about the Guinea takeover, he said that there was no useful metaphor for anything that was actually happening in our world. Um, which I think Ray Nelson definitely disagreed with because yeah, right? <laughs> in divine invasions. There's a quote that says that the book was definitely about the Japanese Imperial occupation forces um, and how they occupied other countries, which we know It did occupy China. It did not occupy here. But it also shows that they were pivoting from a a High Castle sequel idea for this. That makes sense. Yeah. And so so that that is something that was going on here. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Ganymedean worms. Um, You refer to them as
0: Jabbas, but... um, That's what they were to me. And their creatures were salacious crumbs.
1: Yeah, and they're described very well as early as page three with um, it was like all members of the Ganymedean ruling uh, species, legless, armless, pink, and very much like a large worm in appearance. Um, and I like the, how they point out like they think of the humans as poor creatures, and they're like, you should have never let us know you were here. <laughs> um and that their way or their system is first conquer, conquer, occupy, then absorb. That's the way it's done.
0: And yeah, that's the way it's described at the beginning. But by the end, we find out that this is the first time they've done it. Right. It's weird. It's one yeah, of those. Yeah. That is one of those Dick things where he introduces an idea at the beginning and forgets about it, and then forgets about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so Ray, think-
0: Ray didn't fix it that time.
1: Yeah, and I do think that they were, because we know that Ray Nelson said that they were trying to go for this Japanese occupation thing, and we've seen as early as the World Jones made where, um, you know, fascist um, empires on Earth, like um, Dick liked to turn them into weird cosmic alien. Yeah. Things. And so I think that that tradition within the PKD oeuvre goes back to... And Jews into single cell organisms. And- right. And so we've got that going on here and getting take over but um, and um, there and you did highlight this scene but I did like that the new ruler of Tennessee like he's he really is upset about it. He's like oh man fuck this job that was great. <laughs> and that was really PKD because we're getting into the whole idea of like the bureaucracy that you don't want to take part in. And, you know it's, it's not like He's like, "Yo, I get Tennessee." Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, considered
0: the worst place on the in the world. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong. The worst mail that you could possibly have. That's what it's called.
1: Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but was the previous worm who ran Tennessee? He was the one that was into collecting the model airplanes, right? Yeah,
0: model airplanes and human skins. And he was Catholic
1: too, which was interesting.
0: And he was also Catholic. Yeah.
1: Um, so I don't know what was going on there that he made that, that the worm be like a Catholic specifically. Yeah, but, it was it was weird. Um, but that was an interesting thing that I saw there. Um, and at one point, Micus, um, uh, like the Ganymedian worm. Ruler of Tennessee tries to offer Percy X the opportunity to rule Tennessee, like as kind of a collaborator, and eventually that goes to Gus.
0: Yeah, like, I can't. I can't quite remember what his what Mika's plan was. Mika's plan was because yeah, he, I know he wanted to put one person in charge of Tennessee to to make it because right now it's split into territories with different burgers running different areas and sort of feudal system that they have there. But he wanted to basically make a governor of the whole, the whole place, but that's his job. So I didn't understand really what, well, if it, it helps. Larry,
2: I didn't understand anything because, <laughs> because of listening to it, I couldn't write things down as I listened to so much of it while I was driving uh, that, yeah. that I am so not focused and dialed in on what's going on in this book. Well, I see, that's the think the problem I, I have with audiobooks. Ratings. Yeah. Audiobooks same. in
0: general is like there's just there I need that connection, that visual yeah, connection.
2: So so if I so if I don't talk a whole lot about the actual book itself, it's because uh, honestly I'll probably reread it when I find a print copy. But continue. The yeah. burgers rule all, go on.
0: Yeah, well that was his that was his plan.
1: Yeah. And I like that the kind of like the attempt to kind of take back control by the human society was the world psychiatric association. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And, and and so we have some kind of funny, weird moments with, and this, this comes into the kind of PKD underrated satire thing that's going on here. And um, I don't know. I mean, you talked about it in the story breakdown, but uh, for me, one of the interesting elements was that Percy X was kind of, they're like that, you know. The World Psych- Psychiatric Association basically comes in and says, "Like, hey, we kind of need
0: you to die as a martyr." Yeah, they want him to be a martyr. Yeah, and you know, I if he doesn't basically he's considered the last hope of humanity. But if he does get captured and skinned, then all of humanity is doomed. The, vaguely doomed. Yeah, but the uh, but if he dies a martyr. Then humanity might rise up. I guess is the is the idea behind that.
1: Yeah, and so it's interesting because we've now seen two books in a row um, between the Archbishop and uh, Percy X that um, PKD is playing with the idea of black radicals mm-hmm. um, in in an
0: interesting. Well, it is the time to you know <laughs> to play with that idea. There's yeah. a lot of black radicals out there fighting for freedom so
1: yeah and um well he's not as flushed out as i would like Um uh, the existence of percy x in this story i think is very important and i like it and i actually wish there was more focus on percy x that's one of the things one of the yeah.
0: few things that i thought was missing here yeah i i thought he should have been more central
2: yeah uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Did you? I sorry, I dipped for one quick second. Are we yeah. discussing the fact that Percy X is just Malcolm X? Yeah, <laughs> stand yeah, in.
1: yeah, basically. Yeah. And that yeah. between yeah. Clock World in this book, he's done it twice in a row. Um, yeah, yeah,
2: that's right. That's right. Okay.
1: Yeah, and so which is interesting because do androids, which is the next book? Well, you
0: could, you could say the, that the uh, the what what's his face from Counter Clock was more of a an MLK. Figure than a mm-hmm. than a Malcolm X figure.
1: So and Joan um, being a cla- be, being a collaborator to capture Percy X that that gets a little bit into our themes with like well we don't have a divorced a, a, a divorcing like angry wife here we we do have um, a love interest in in Joan um, who is obviously inspired and by this the- a, yeah this is an
0: unrequited. Yes, love interest. Like, for, for but scouting. she
1: was inspired by the two wives, as we know from 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 reading about the research. That um, she does collaborate to 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 a certain degree. To um,
0: you know, uh, yeah, but at least her story, her backstory, gives her reason, you know, sure. to be the way she is. And it's not just oh, she's a bitch because she's a woman. Yeah, you know? and Balconini.
1: Um, you know, creating all these weapons, but his most important one is that he blocks the telepathy of the Ganymedians. Um, it's kind of important, and it's funny because, well, we never got the word precog, or we never got like...
0: We did no We one. did get... We did get... I think we got precog once, and we got simulacra once.
1: Yeah, there was less
0: of the... But there was no auto cars? No, the ionic... No, craft. Yeah, ionic craft. Yeah, so I think...
1: I, I'm assuming that Nelson was might have been the one saying like, "Hey, let's use some different, different Yeah, words. Um, I think so too. Yeah, and robots were called robots. Yeah, they were actually called robots. <laughs> yeah, um, but and and yes, and I'll agree with you that Balcanini like developing the weapon. Nanny.
0: Yeah, um, that he, <laughs> he might be a ninny, but it's not in his name. <laughs> um i do think
1: he was one of the more interesting characters in the book i don't know if he was my favorite necessarily but
0: um i i love that character because he was so right about a lot of things and so wrong about a lot of things right
1: and then um when he anthony he he has this scene um I'm one, it's page one fifteen of the British edition. Are you yelling at
2: me? I am paying attention. I'm researching uh, the best synopsis for our next uh, our next book because I don't <laughs> I don't have a lot to say about this book that is, exists in my brain as a book, but in audio format.
0: Um, <laughs> but you have stuff to say about people being dicks. I know that all the time. Yes, all the time. Okay, which cool. is important because there's a lot of dicks in this book.
1: So to me, like the kind of the coolest aspects of the Ganymede takeover for me are, um, I like the fact that we're getting a slightly different voice being that it's a collaboration that all the dick elements are there, but it's slightly different. And so I did really enjoy that. And I kind of wish that we had gotten all three of the books that they had wanted to work together on. And well, yeah, I mean, more
0: is better. Yeah. And as they collaborate, it would probably get even more Ray Nelsony. Right. And um, but I haven't read uh, anything of Ray Nelson. Yeah. Has that, anybody read? That was anything? my question. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was going to be my question. I haven't.
0: And but we really should maybe consider sometime in the future doing a Ray Nelson just special, like read the the They Live story and do something on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I'd would. be down. That'd be good.
1: Because um, They Live is kind of dick-like, so... But I think the Ray Nelson elements, it's funny because a lot of people would think that we, as being the dickheads, that we would kind of not welcome the collaboration, but I welcome the collaboration. Because- who, who Who? said that? Yeah. No, I'm saying some people might think that because... Well, the-
2: I, some people think that we can't dislike any of
1: Dick's books and then like <laughs> Philip K. Dick, though. True. Um, True it's true for me the coolest elements of the book one thing um i love the shaft the dart fired from from orbit to yeah. um as a weapon that was great because that like pre drone warfare in a cool way but to me the absolute best moment of the whole book besides the winking mountain which i really liked which is better that than boob, really good better than boob mountain the winking mountain was oh yeah
0: that was The mountain coming to life and smashing people. That was awesome.
1: Yeah, um, that was one of my favorite moments. But the illusion projector was definitely the most hilarious and weirdest moment. And I don't know how it translated an audio book, but I know on the written page.
2: Um, It was interesting. Is that the, is that the scene where it's all the different like monster things that show up to battle? There's yeah,
0: like the girl scouts the, and the,
2: the girl scouts and the, the like, vampires. The tiny, and... What is it? What did it, what did he say? One inch
1: lesbians, one inch lesbians. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah. Best part being the battalion of brownie scouts, cracking skulls right and left with overbaked cookies. <laughs> Um, and for cross-dressers. Red-assed baboons charged in between him, pushing supermarkets... Not the aardvarks! <laughs> the red-assed baboons charged in between him, pushing supermarket carts <laughs> armed with 50 caliber machine guns. Um, a rock and roll group headed by a young, long-haired trumpeter named Gabriel played the jerk while a team of trained surgeons removed... One appendix after another, throwing in an (laughs) occasional lobotomy to avoid monotony. Um, That whole scene was fucking hilarious.
0: Yeah. Um, And well done. Just bizarre as hell and perfectly bizarre.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, those are all elements that. uh, philosophers,
0: or like old philosophers at some point. Yeah. Oh, well, there's
2: like a whole Freud robotic bust, isn't there?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's that, he, that, that I believe yeah. that he, oh, well, and that's that other interesting scene where he kills his robot. Is it his, is it his android girlfriend or assistant yeah. just because he kills, he's, he's an, an asshole? robot.
0: Yeah. yeah. he's a psycho. <laughs> and this book should not be forgotten as some, like, no. Oh, it's just, uh, it's just a dick book and Ray Nelson's name is on there or any bullshit like that. Well, and,
1: is it,
2: and and I agree with I agree with you, Larry. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's fine. Um I I agree with Larry and to kind of just touch on what I was saying a little bit earlier, if we we should be able to discuss the collaborations and without any issue because it is something Dick was involved in. If we're, if we're talking how that's no different than when we discuss an adaptation, which is a weird type of collaboration. When somebody adapts somebody else's material, we I'm not, we shouldn't be put to task for that. And I don't think we should worry about it.
1: Look, and we're all people. The three of us have collaborated with each other on various (laughs) projects. So we also know fiction wise how much we have each put into each other's fictional projects that we've worked on together and we know that uh, I don't I would never discount Ray Nelson's input or Philip K Dixon in, input into this is that mm-hmm. you know it's just interesting to want to know how much was each of course but at the same time it doesn't matter in the end it's a book that that went through both their hands and became like a creator Correct. of both of them yeah. and and so and I would like to have seen – I think it would be cool to see what Phil had done in further partnership with, with Ray Nelson because
0: I think this turned out pretty good. And- yeah, I, I think uh, technically, I think there's some technical parts of this that didn't work out. Uh, like uh, like I was talking about some – like the bringing the guns back, bringing Lincoln back. There's elements like that that just sort of come out of the blue. Uh, Balkani being introduced so late. You know, the, the, there's just elements that, from a technical point of view, writing point of view, were not put together properly. But other than that, I, I think it's a, a well-told, forward-moving story, mm-hmm. you know? There's not a lot of tangential yeah, there's, stuff a Well, happening. there's a
2: beginning, middle, and an end, and unlike certain other dick books we've read, the beginning, middle, and the end all work together, whereas, you know, say much, for the world Jones fluid. made... There, each section of the book is like its own novel. Which, right. I mean, I'm a I'm a World Jones made apologist. I think I like that book regardless. But this is not the World Jones made episode.
0: <laughs> All right, moving well, you on. You judgment, yeah. Sure. Judge. Um,
1: I'm going to give the Ganymede takeover four out of five overbaked brownie scout club uh, death cookies out of five. Um, I think overall it, it's a really cool book. It just the sad thing for me is I wish that they had gotten to work together more. So I, overall, I think Enemy Takeover is kind of an improvement on um, Game Players of Titans. Like, Frank. I don't really like the comparison, but I, I don't like the comparison. But for me, I think it's a similar but better alien invasion story. Which uh, for 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 Phil. And and um, overall, I think it's just a weird and cool book. And the whole book was made for me by the illusion projector scene. Um, like uh, I, it doesn't almost doesn't matter what else happened in the book. <laughs> well worth it. I will well, see worth that,
0: it. I will. I will add to that in in my judgment. I'm giving it three and a half giant artworks. But the uh, the stories that the one guy tells about the twenty. You know, twenty-four soldiers showing up, him becoming friends with one of the soldiers, and like then them slowly disappearing, and and to me that was that made it all worthwhile. It's not just the illusions that they create, but that the illusions stick around and become part of their lives. I thought that was fascinating and should have been, you know, more of the story. Like honestly, we find out Lincoln dies, right? how great would it have been if that was just Percy's hallucination of Lincoln that stuck around all the way until they're in that little room. And then boom, Lincoln disappears and Percy is left alone facing the robots and fire. I mean, to me that would have been amazing, but that's neither here nor there. I I liked this, this book and, uh, I think this is could be considered one of the more underrated of his books. What do you got Anthony? Yeah, I agree it's underrated.
1: Well,
2: um like I said, I don't think I can fairly judge this book because I listened to it as an audiobook and it definitely changed how my brain received that information. Yeah. So, I'll I'll uh, give the audiobook 3 creatures <laughs> out of 5 because they definitely were doing their best to, to do some voices and to make it listenable. And the narrator is a pretty good narrator. So mm-hmm. three out of five, it could have been a more, could have been better produced, but it certainly was not nearly as bad as some like BS black metal demo done in somebody's broom. Closet. <laughs> so uh, that's a three out of five for the audiobook book. And um, I'm going to go ahead and maybe
0: read the book book down the road and I'll revisit See, that's what I want to do with solar lottery. I haven't done it yet. But because I only listened to the audiobook, I want to go back and yeah read it. That's why I bought a copy. I just maybe, maybe
2: that can be the, the Anthony Larry episode. While David takes a break, <laughs> yeah. where we just revisit stuff that we kind of didn't really read, but
0: did, right, but did.
1: Um, yeah, and you guys got we have a break coming up, so you guys got time to do that. Um, so uh, okay, adaptation.
0: Um, oh, I got this one. Oh, good. Hit us up, Langhorn. I got this one. So, first of all, this is going to be directed by, oh, God, uh, Lone LeTerrier. Uh, I, I, I don't know. That's probably a butchered pronunciation of his name or her name. <laughs> but the director of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance show on Netflix. Louis. L- Louis, uh, oh, is it Louis? Yeah. I can't read my writing. He directed so a it's Louis LeTerrier.
1: Yeah, he's a um, he's a um, protege of um, Luke Basson.
0: He did a bunch oh, really? of those action movies for Luke Basson. So, and I would have it done by Henson Studios because this, like, you have first of all, I called them Job of the Hut, but then they're uh, the the creatures are basically skexis. You know, they they're all defined by their job. That's their name, and they all have crazy different jobs. Like there's a psychic. (laughs) To me, that was incredible. You have a a slave race that is also like everything. Every job is done by them, and they're defined by doing that job. One guy's an engineer. This other guy presses a button. You know, this one's the psychic. This one uh, uses a hammer. Whatever it is, I I, and the uh, the Skeksis are exactly that way. You have the you know the uh, the chamberlain you have the 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 uh, war guy you have all these different jobs that they have uh, the man the man at arms and um so i would want this done by henson studios i would have puppets a lot of it would be puppets think how great all those illusions would be done with henson puppets all right so i i like that oh, no judgment <laughs>
1: You don't think so? Um, no, I'm, I'm cool with that. I, that's not where I would go. I Well, first of all, I know the marketing of this movie would be from the writers of They Live and Blade Runner um, because that's how you're going to market it because you get to, to do that for this one time. and um, Or from the minds behind yeah, yeah. They Live. Um, but I think I would focus on Percy X as your main character and do like that kind of Tennessee storyline as the, you know, from Percy X's perspective is how I would adapt it um, and make it kind of like um, the black hole. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it that, but um, I would No no It would be like the black hole. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's how I would do it. Anthony. Um
2: I didn't put a whole lot of thought into this. Larry, I think we're the we're going to put Larry's in production because <laughs> that's the most thought out. I I didn't really I, I don't know. Maybe James Cameron? Fuck, I don't know for this one. I I really but, feel But uh, the like...
0: story itself, like, you know, it doesn't have to change that much. No. Because no. You, you change the names of stuff. Like you're not going to call them the need crew or whatever that <laughs> whatever
1: yeah,
0: that was. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I I definitely did not uh, give this one a whole lot of thought. So sorry.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be first on my priority list of 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 a. Of a this would
2: be not even on my list. Like, it would not crack my top ten dick movies to put into production.
1: Oh, I I I
2: like it. I think it would. I had a vision for it. So. No, that's awesome. And then, and for for once, David and I didn't have a vision where we thought we were right. So.
0: It's no. a nice change.
2: Good job. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> All right. To close off the show tonight, we're going to do dick-like suggestions. We've moved it to the end.
0: Uh, Langhorn J Tweed, why don't we start off with your dick-like suggestion this month? All right. Sounds good because it's a good one. Yeah, this game came out uh, a while back, but they've had steady new content up until, like, a couple days ago, they released the final bit of new content for the game. And it's called Control, and this one is done by Remedy Entertainment, who made, also made the game Alan Wake, and that's also a fantastic game. It's a game where you are a, are a detective, and you have to stay in the light. Or it's a mm-hmm. very horror oriented. This game, you play a, a woman named Jesse who's on the search for her brother, and her her investigation leads her to this building. Uh, this the fbc building which is the federal bureau of control so she enters this building basically the first thing that happens she meets a crazy janitor who points her to go a certain way she goes into a room she picks up a gun the gun immediately tries to make her shoot herself in the head and it turns out the gun decides who is going to be the director of the fbc and boom, right away, you're the new director of the FBC. And the Federal Bureau of Control handles all supernatural stuff on the planet. Like there's uh, an anchor that can cause people to kill themselves. There's a, there's a uh, what, what do I have down here? There's an ashtray that creates a giant maze you can't get out of. Uh, there's a refrigerator that has to be looked at. Otherwise, it'll eat people. There's a slide projector that takes you to different realities. There's a, a lamp that, or a, a light switch, like a pull switch, that will teleport you. There's, and the, the whole thing is the, the SCP or the uh, FBC's central branch is actually an old, old house called the oldest house and it's a basically like a hellmouth center of uh of energy, you know, all kinds of things. There's elder gods, there's this thing called the hiss which is possessed people. Uh there's crazy puppet commercials about or uh, there's a crazy puppet show with two ugly model kids with real teeth and stuff. It's fucking crazy. Uh but the gameplay is you You achieve powers through fighting these other dimensional creatures, and you have your gun that is your symbol of power, basically, and you have a bunch of employees that do stuff for you. It's an intense game all around, really fun to play, because it's really open on how you play it, but it's linear in in how you progress. But the side quests are amazing. Is this an
1: online game or one you have
0: to buy? It's a, it's a the game you buy. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful, too. The game itself is, is... The graphics are fantastic. Oh, cool.
1: Well, that, that, yeah, that does sound really interesting. Um, Anthony... Elder Gods, Alternate Dimensions, all that jazz. Uh, Anthony, what's your dick-like suggestion this month?
2: So for this month I'm going to recommend Lorcan Finnegan's Vivarium which has been out I think it came out a little while ago. I don't I don't know dates anymore. I just watch movies as they pop up on the TV cuz that's how it's I watch
0: a- movies now. I know it's on
2: Amazon Prime. That's how I watched it. Um which it stars Imogene Poots and Jesse Eisenberg, who most people are familiar with by now. <laughs> they are a couple who are kind of looking to buy a home, but they're they're not sure yet. So they end up going out to this neighborhood with this super creepy real estate agent who jets and leaves them there. And they end up getting stuck in this horribly, sim- like this suburban neighborhood that doesn't change. And they're forced to raise a child. So the trade-off is if you raise this kid... Will let you out of the neighborhood. Really? And that's all I'm going to say about it because I think it does. It's a little too long, and I don't care for the ending. But it it certainly it, does
0: a. Go ahead is there. it like a Stepford Wife kind of neighborhood, or?
2: Yeah, it, it's kind of your run of the mill tracked home neighborhood. Oh, okay. Um, and, they, and they don't see anyone else there, right? They're the oh, really. They're the, they're the only people in this neighborhood and you're led to, but, but as you, you'll find out later why that is, which is kind of cool. And there's an aspect of it that I wish they had explored more, but they don't, but I think it's better. It's a movie better seen not knowing a whole lot about it for, and for me, I felt it was kind of dick like, cause it honestly reminded me a lot of um, certain scenes from eye in the sky. A lot of the more alternate reality
0: oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, scenarios. Um, Now that I brought it up, though, if you like Die in the Sky, and if you've already liked Vivarium, I highly recommend that people watch Channel Zero Season 2, No End House, which is that idea, but taken to its most extreme. And I I don't know if you guys have watched Channel Zero, but for the most part, it's a pretty solid horror show. Every season is a different story. Um, I think it's about nine or or ten episodes each. Uh, They're not all bangers, but... The first two seasons, I think, were my favorite. So, so those are my cool. two recommendations. Vivarium and Channel Zero, No end House. Okay,
1: and I have two books this month. Uh, the winner of this year's Philip K. Dick Award, Sarah Pinsker, wrote a novel called Song for a New Day. And it's about a global pandemic, uh, coincidentally enough, and where all it's about social distancing and where like the whole world is shut down. And it's about touring musicians who kind of try to keep live music alive through a series of undergrounds. And, but at the same time, one of the main characters is running a company that does virtual reality concerts and is trying to recruit the last bands that are like, um, trying to keep this underground music alive. And one thing, um, about it that I think because really it's a big love song to live music and to like the independent spirit of like trying to keep live music alive. So so how was it Dick Lake?
0: Well, first of all, she won the Philip K. Dick award. And I think it's Dick Lake. Haven't we, haven't we been talking about how a lot of those books aren't Dick (laughs) Lake? Yes. But I think the virtual reality aspect where they're trying to
1: create this manufactured reality where live music stays alive in the virtual reality is the part that is dick-like because so much of the novel takes place in this virtual space where where the books... uh, um, Unfortunately, I think more of it takes... So it's like a second-life concert venue? Right, right. And um, half of the novel takes place with this woman who's recruiting, and the other half is this live musician and I think more of the novel f- focuses on the live musician than the virtual reality. And as much as I liked the novel as it was, I think focusing on the virtual reality and how music survives the pandemic, I would have liked more on the other end. However, I did like it. I did think it was a good book. And I do think people should check it out. And it was it needs, certain- a,
0: needs a classical jug band is what it needs. Yeah, right. Um and my other, the the one that I, I'm
1: a, more of a proponent of is this book called The Mirage by Matt Ruff. Matt Ruff is um, kind of man of the moment right now because he wrote a little novel called Love, Lovecraft Country, which is um, right now the biggest show on HBO and a big deal. But before he wrote Lovecraft Country, he wrote this little ditty, and it is... Very Philip K. Dick, because it's an alternate history that imagines um, a giant terrorist attack happening on these two towers in Baghdad on November 9th, 2001, which sets off the global war on terrorism against the Christian fundamentalists who did the terrorist attack against this this United Arab States. Nice. And so... um, There's lots of really cool shit in here. I really hated the ending. (laughs) Uh, I still gave the
0: book, um, I believe, four or five. Two recommendations that you don't really like. Got it. No, I really liked this novel. Welcome to
2: David's subpar recommendations segment of the podcast. (laughs) No, where where he had to reach to find a book to have to talk about.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. I really did like the novel. There's lots of really cool things. There's bonkers aspects from the CIA agent. The, the, the director of the CIA in the evangelical States of Texas is David Koresh. And like weird shit like that. I did really like a lot of aspects of this book. The main character is a, um, is a hard boiled cop from the Baghdad PD. Um, Like, one of the coolest scenes is when he goes to interrogate like the head of the, of the um, Iraqi mafia, which is Saddam Hussein that, you know, so there's
0: really cool stuff going on here. What was Uh, the end? What, what did you just not agree with how it ended or? Yeah. uh, It's it's a huge spoiler. So yeah, don't tell us what it is, but
1: yeah, there's a kind of a twist at the end that I thought kind of took out some of the weight and the power of, The other 375 pages of it. I do think a difference between Man of the High Castle and this is that um, this novel kind of takes the firm stance that there are two realities and that this is a flip side. And so that's very different from Man in the High Castle. My review on my blog talks a lot about the differences between the Mirage and Man in the High Castle and how they're not as comparable as every other fucking review out there did. Because every review compared it to Man in the High Castle, and that annoyed the shit out of me. Um, It is dick-like, but not exactly Man in the High Castle, as I would say. I think it's... I don't know. But anyways, those are my two dick-like suggestions, so... All right, Anthony, what do we got next time? Coming up next on the
2: Dickheads Podcast. World War Terminus has left Earth an underpopulated wasteland where people keep electronic animals as pets. Through this bleak landscape, reluctant bounty hunter Rick Deckard stalks the sophisticated and lethal Nexus 6 androids who have fled their labors in the Martian colonies. In doing so, Deckard soon, soon learns... That the new Messiah, the single messenger of hope in a desperate society, might also be fake. We're doing Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Bum, 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 bum. Cool. Guys, let me let me just tell that you real quick, up. real quick, real quick though. I just want to say trying to find back cover copy for this was a pain in my ass because everybody oh. just wants to fucking talk about Blade Runner. The movie. Everybody's okay. like, oh, check out this movie. Blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, I know, I've seen that movie. I love that movie, but the back co- the the Blade Runner uh, tie-in novel, not tie-in novel, but the movie edition is, right. is, is like reading the back copy for an action movie. It was What's January up? 2021, and Rickard, <laughs> Rick Deckard has a license to kill. Somewhere among the hordes of humans out there lurked several rogue androids. Deckard's assignment? Find them, and then retire them. Trouble was, the androids all looked and acted exactly like humans, and they didn't want to be found. That's for the, uh, right. the movie edition of the book. Yeah. Um, so that's someone Jesus that hasn't even okay. read the book. Fun, <laughs> fun fact, though. I've never read this book. Yeah. And, we both I, and so this is going to be a whole cool new experience for me. Yeah. Um, because obviously, as everybody knows, and anyone who knows me or follows me on like social media knows, I'm a huge Blade Runner fan. Um, I actually just came into possession of a really cool old-school uh, Blade Runner sketchbook. Really? Which is super badass.
1: Yeah, um, take
2: pictures of it.
1: It looks yeah. really
2: cool. It's and, super awesome.
1: Uh, Ganymede Takeover is
0: done. And keep it paranoid. Get to the Discord. Go on the Discord. Yeah,
2: I asked a question, and then no one answered me. So go to the Discord. Yeah, Answer my questions. And, Have uh, a discussion.
0: And David's doing all kinds of new stuff with his blog and Recording all kinds of different things so he doesn't go insane during the lockdown. Anthony's working on books and stuff.
2: That's right. I'm almost done with, uh, now I can talk about it because it's no longer a ghostwriting project. I have been collaborating on, well, I don't even know if it's collaboration, but the, I've been working on. Yeah. So I will, should have a book out next year, uh, with, uh, horror author, Ryan C. Thomas. So, we are now co-writing this as opposed to me ghostwriting it.
1: Awesome. I'm
0: excited for that. All right. (laughs) We're all, we're all out there. Yeah. uh, uh, I've got so many different channels on the, uh, on the discord that we can discuss almost anything.
2: I want to know what short stories people want us to talk about. It doesn't just have to be ones that have been adapted. We don't just have to exist in the realm that electric dreams created. We can talk about other stories. I just, you know, there's so fucking many of them out there. I don't, have the time to go through every single one. So, yeah. Good. All right, that's it. We're done. Good night, Bye. America, and everybody else. Keep it paranoid. Good go night. Be, go be paranoid.